Yo, what's going on, guys? Welcome to a podcast. Not only is this a podcast, but it's our journey. A journey that we hope you want to ride out with us as we intend to educate you guys, inspire, talk about past and current experiences, and to make one think to stop judging others. Most importantly, stop judging yourself based on others' views and perceptions. With that said, you'll be hearing from me, myself, Austin Kirshner, but along with our journey on this podcast will be my mother, Kathy Kirshner, and my brother, Dylan Kirshner. With that said, welcome to Silencing of Stigma. We're going back to the roots. Yeah, decided to start recording. Mom's eating uh, almonds right now, and she's uh, making a lot of loud noises in the mic, so... Anyway, uh, welcome back to the podcast. It's a new week, and we have Amelia with us today. We had her sister on last week, and we're going to branch off kind of her sister's story. She mentioned a part in there that um, Amelia's going to kind of go with today. So uh, what's going on, Amelia? Not much. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. Good. Mom's doing good with their almonds over there. All right. Well, Amelia, you want to go ahead? Um, so I was raised, I would, I won't want to say the normal way, but I had two very loving parents. Um, we went to church every Sunday, um, grew up with us. Uh, you met my sister last week, grew up with her. It was a very happy upbringing, but, um, so I went through my life. I was just living my life and, um, my sister graduated high school in 2009. I was 14 years old. Um, and for my sister's graduation gift, my parents told her, pick somewhere in the country you want to go and we'll take you wherever you want to go as your graduation gift. And she wanted to go to the Caribbean. So we ended up going to the island of St. Martin, which is, I want to say, off the coast of Jamaica. So it's down okay. in that general vicinity there. So I was 14 years old. Um, my sister was allowed to take a friend with her. If you guys remember from last week, this is the same friend that slept with her best friend. Um, right. So Can't she, for some that. reason, decided that would be a good idea. <laughs> So um, she decided to take her friend. Um, so it was my mom, my dad, um, my sister, her friend, and myself. Um, we just um, kind of spent most of the week down at the beach, not really doing much, going on random excursions, snorkeling, scuba diving, that sort of thing. Clear water down there? Yeah, pretty clear. Yeah. Pretty clear. It was, it was a good time. Pretty warm, too. The only thing is the beaches are really rocky. Are they? <laughs> yeah. I'm used to the dirty water. <laughs> Ocean City, <laughs> yeah. Florida. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Um, a lot of things wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> Is this an all-inclusive? Uh, this was not. Okay. Um, there was an option to do that, but because my sister and I were technically underage, my parents were like, it's not worth it because they, they're know. not huge drinkers. Okay. Um, but, but was it a private resort? Yes, it was okay. a private resort. It was gated. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We went to Punicon, and the reason I'm asking is because... Like ours was gated and we mm-hmm. never went off that whole resort the entire yeah. week that we were there. We, d- we did go off. Um, Carissa mentioned uh, last week there's a Dutch side and a French side. So the French side is like the fancier side where you can do like lots of shopping and all the good restaurants okay. are. So we went over there a couple of times. The but... English speaking side. Yeah, the Dutch <laughs> side. That's where we stayed. Yeah, that's where they speak English. Okay. <laughs> so um, uh, I think it was maybe the third to last night that we were there. It was kind of like our one of our going away things. My parents booked us a booze cruise and... Um, down there, if you can see over the bar, they'll serve you. So I was 14. I was like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. I can start drinking. I can try all this stuff that I never get to try. Um, not that I, it wasn't like I'd never tried alcohol before. Like my parents always had beer in the fridge. So it, they were very like, 
if you want to taste it, you can taste it, but like, you're not going to sit here and like do beer bongs and stuff like that. Like it was never like <laughs> a partying environment. It was always just like, if you want to try it, you can try it. I don't know if you guys know, I, I used to drink down in the basement by myself. By yourself? <laughs> yeah. No. Well, that's promising. Why not? <laughs> Underage? I think so. It was like 16, 17. Okay. No, I didn't know. Surprise so were they your it was beer only cans a... in the attic? I'm no, still they trying weren't. to figure out whose beer cans were in the attic, but No, it was just like I, I keep just... blaming everybody and everybody's like, No. <laughs> one day someone will fess up. It was only like one or two at night, I mean. Okay. Right. You see, it's not uncommon. Yeah. <laughs> it's not uncommon at all to like want to experiment and try those sorts of things. Especially when you're at that like teenage in this like prime teenage years when yeah. everything's brand new and everything's cool. I was yeah. really oblivious to my kids. I thought they <laughs> I thought I knew everything. I used to have girls over at night. That's a lie. <laughs> That's not a lie. <laughs> That's mom saying you can't get girls to come over. <laughs> That's not <laughs> a lie. Had one lady of the night. I called her the know? girl. I called her the girl of the How night. How do you know? Because she would come after we were in bed. <laughs> That's when they usually came. Yeah, okay. That's call. Okay. <laughs> I guess you can't do that, can you? <laughs> okay. He's the only one that can prove that. Okay. He had ladies of the night, too. Jackie and him dated for a year, and I didn't even know it. Maybe they're the same girl. Very secretive uh, okay. children. <laughs> okay. This podcast is not about what I don't know. <laughs> so it was one of the last uh, couple of nights my parents booked a booze cruise which if, for those of you that don't know exactly what that is is basically you just like board the this yacht type boat and they have like a bar set up and they had like all different kinds of alcohol and all different kinds of beer and like you have to pay it was like open bar once you were like on the boat and they just like took you out for like three hours and you're basically your job was to like drink and dance to loud music that's really all it is um and I remember um I pretty much just hung out with my parents and my sister hung out with her friend and they kind of kept themselves separate. But when the dancing started, I kind of like went over with them and I was like, oh yeah, everything's so cool. Um, and the jobs of the crew on this is to make sure you have a good time. Their job is to ply you with alcohol, ply you with drinks, make sure that you're having a good time, dance with you, talk to you, all that sort of stuff. And there, I remember one guy in particular took interest in me to start and then I kind of like hung out with my parents and he kind of backed off a little bit. I mean, I'm still like, what kind of signs did he give you that you, um, like sitting down really close to me, putting his arm around me, like, like grazing my arm up and down, that sort of stuff. It was enough to make me feel like, Ooh, someone's paying me attention, even though I'm only 14 years old, but enough to be like, it's kind of creepy. (laughs) So it was like, there's a fine line between that, I think. Um, so whenever I kind of like started hanging back with my parents, he went over to my sister and her friend and was dancing with them and talking with them. And then whenever I got up to join them, I remember him talking to my sister's friend asking like, hey, where are you guys staying? Um, And of course, her being young and naive just told him exactly where we were staying and um, that we would be, you know, down at the bar that night and we would be doing all these things and be available to hang out if um, he wanted to or he pretty much invited her, asked, hey, can I come come hang out with you guys? And she was like, yeah, sure, we'll be down there. Um, So the cruise went on. We docked back from that and... um, Went back to the room. Um, of course, my sister's friend wanted to go down to the beach, and my sister wanted nothing to do with that because my sister's a very homebody type person. Like she doesn't really like doing things. I remember she said she was drunk too. Yeah, she mm. was. She was kind of drunk. She just wanted to go to bed. And me, I had like one beer and like one shot of banana liqueur, which was disgusting in hindsight. But like then it was like, <laughs> oh sweet, this is awesome. Um, so I was like, I'll go down with you because I really didn't think that she should be going down by herself. So I accompanied her down. Um, I was like, I'll just swim while you guys do what you're going to do, like hang out and you can meet new people. So I was in the ocean, um, probably. This is nighttime, right? Yeah, this is like 11, 11, 12 o'clock. 
Um, I was probably about like a football, like a hundred yards football field distance from where the bar was, where she was. Um, well they came down walking into the water together and they were probably like maybe 20 feet from me. And that's when I noticed that they were having sex in the water, like within like 20 feet of me. And I was just kind of like, Oh, okay. I really don't think this is something that she should be doing. Like she's pretty trashed. Like, I don't think. Like, I don't mean, I don't want to, like, bring up the whole idea of consent, but, like, if she's too drunk to, like, remember what her name is, I don't think she can consent to that. Okay. So I kind of, like, made my way over there, and I was like, hey, like, I think it's time we go back to the room. Because at this point, like, she was, quote, unquote, engaged. Okay. And, like, she was joining the military and all this stuff. She was, like I said, quote, unquote, engaged, as as engaged as you can be at 17 years old. So I was just kind of trying to grab her, like get her back to the room. And that's when he came towards me, um, grabbed the string of my bikini bottom and pulled it off. And, um, well, he by himself, just yes. one single guy. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I started kind of like backing up. I was like, Hey, like I'm, I'm 14. Like I have no interest in any of this and kind of ignored me at that point, came a little closer. And, um, they say when something's happening to you, there's, two options. It's the fight or flight response. You either flee or you fight back. Well, psychologically, there's actually a third option and that's to freeze. And that's what happened to me. I just remember like being frozen in my body, not being able to move, not really being able to speak while his hands were on me and in me. Um, I couldn't fight back. I couldn't bring myself to do anything until I want to say 45 seconds, a minute later, I finally like snapped in my head this is not something that should be happening to me like you need to get out you're not saying yes you don't want this so I started running up the like to where like the crest of the waves hits the sand I started running towards the sandy part of the beach and um, I tripped and fell he followed me I remember he had my right hand pinned onto the beach he started coming at me he was kissing my neck kissing my cheeks I'm, I'm tossing my head trying to trying to fight it at this point there was a man walking his German Shepherd mix down the beach and he set his dog on the guy that was on top of me. And that was my chance to escape. The guy ran off. I just, I remember just sitting there for a second, stand in very, very uncomfortable places, Mm -hmm. just thinking nothing, not understanding what happened, not understanding anything. But all I could think of is I need to get back to the room. I need to get back to my parents. So I grabbed her at this point. I my, my bathing suit bottoms were lost in the ocean. I grabbed my towel off of the beach chair um, that was, you know, 20 feet away from where we were in the ocean, wrapped it around the bottom half of myself and grabbed her, slung her, her arm over my shoulder. And what was she doing the whole time this was happening? She was just floating in the ocean, which is like, I'm curious as to what was going through her head at that time, if anything, just watching, if she just watched it happen. Maybe she was drugged or I don't know. It's it's entirely possible because like in hindsight, asking her like, do you remember what happened last night? Like, I don't even think she knows what happened to me. Yeah. Um, Asking her like, do you remember what happened last night? No, I have no recollection of anything. Like, I don't remember anything. So she doesn't know what happened to her either. No. Again, I don't know if that's because she was, like I said, quote unquote engaged and she didn't want it to get out. Or if she was, in fact, drugged and doesn't remember it. If he slipped something in her drink when we were Mm -hmm. on the cruise or anything like that, I have no idea. I mean, it's interesting to think back and wonder what was going Mm -hmm. through her head, if anything. So I I grabbed her, took her back. I think we were staying on the third floor um, through the elevator, soaking wet. They normally make you, like, dry off before you go in the ocean. And and all that was on my mind was ignore, ignore, ignore. Like, 
they're yeah. yelling at me through the lobby to dry off, um, get the sand off of you, rinse off. I'm like, well, I'm not going to take my towel off <laughs> and rinse everything else off just because I have sand on my feet. So I, I ran into the room sandy. I want to say this is probably 1, 1.30 in the morning at this point. Uh, my parents are both asleep. My sister's passed out um, in her bedroom. And I think it was a two-bedroom suite because I was staying on the pull-out couch in the living room. And my parents had their own room. And my sister and her friend had her own room. So I dumped Chris's friend in her bed. And made sure she was on her side because I knew she was drunk and I didn't want her, like, asphyxiating on her and vomit if she were to um, have, like, alcohol poisoning or anything. So I made sure she was on her side, dried her off, put her in her pajamas, went back to, like, my section of the suite that we were staying in, got dressed. I want to say, actually, I showered first because I felt really dirty. dirty. Mm-hmm. So I went and showered, uh, put my pajamas on. And I remember being awake after that for two days, just wondering, like, what? the fuck just happened like like trying to process everything and get all my emotions in check because it's not something that I wanted to share with my parents it's not something I wanted to share with everyone because I thought that I had done something wrong yeah because like at that point I was a virgin like I was not sexually active I had no clue what any of that really was so it's not something that like I mean I knew what it was but um it's not something that I was involved in so I didn't want my parents like I said earlier I was church every Sunday, my parents kind of drilled it in my head, like, don't be irresponsible with sex. Don't be irresponsible with sex. Okay. So um, uh, it's not something I wanted to share. So I, I just remember being awake for two days, just quiet, drifting off all the time, just, like, thinking about what happened and not being able to really comprehend why it happened to me. And that's not something that I was able to comprehend until years later. So um, was he a worker at that resort? Do n- you know? Or, no. you he, never saw him after that? No. He was contracted out to the boat, which was okay. called the Lombada. Okay. Still remember that. Um, he was contracted out to the boat, which was, the dock was, I want to say three resorts over okay. from us is where the dock was. Okay. So I never, I never did see him again, luckily. Um, I don't know what would have happened if I would have. Probably freaked out. It would have been more on me than it would have been on him. But that's pretty much the, the story of how I became a victim of sexual assault. And I, I choose that word very intentionally because if anyone else that's listening has been into my, in a situation similar to mine, it's not a word that I really like to use. Um, victim seems like there's something wrong with you almost. Okay. Uh, so that's pretty much what had happened to me in that moment. Um, I went on living my life. I uh, didn't really tell anyone. I had told my best friend and that was about it. It took me two, three years to tell my sister what happened. I mean, that night that we came back, I told her, just so you know, like, your friend slept with someone. Like, I tried to get him off of her. Like, I tried to, like, bring, bring her back to the room. So as soon as I could, I did. I, I did tell her. I said as soon as I could get a hold of her, I brought her back to the room to bring her, keep her safe and all that stuff. And she was just kind of like, well, that's on her if she made that choice. <laughs> so, I mean, not that, like, like I said, like we said earlier, like, I don't really know if it was, was a choice or if it was something that, yeah. like Austin said, like someone slipped or something in her drink or anything like that. But she seemed to function after that. Like the next day she was fine and. Yep. No. Okay. No real setbacks or anything. She didn't seem to be upset about it or anything. Okay. So that and was. You didn't have the slightest intention of telling anybody after that happened. No. Not at all. I kept it to myself for a really long time, which led me to some unhealthy coping habits. So that was, like I said, how I became a victim. And I just kind of went on living my life. Nothing really, I tried not to let it affect me. I kept really, really busy to keep my mind off of things. I played, I did sports in high school. Like I cheered for football in the fall. I played soccer. I played travel soccer in the fall. 
You cheer for basketball? Mm-hmm. I you cheer. Remember f- cheering for me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah. I cheered for basketball in the winter, and I cheered competitively in the winter. And then in the spring, I played um, soccer, varsity soccer for the high school. So I kept myself really busy year-round. And, you know, as soon as soccer ended, cheerleading for fall started. So it was like a year-round cycle. Of, I never get a break. And then I want to say, how many years later was that? Maybe two years later? My sister... We, like my parents let us alternate where we go on vacation, picking where we want to go on vacation. And because my sister was unaware that this had happened to me, yeah. it was her turn to pick vacation. And where did she pick? She wanted to go back to St. Martin. So at first I was just kind of like, oh, it'll be fine. Like maybe it's not going to affect me. Like it's not something I, th- I, t- I tried to keep, keep, the, keep the noise at bay, um, keep everything as far away from my thought process as I could. So I was like, it'll be fine. So I was actually allowed to take a friend this time. I think I was a junior in high school. So I brought a friend with me, and she took her boyfriend at the time. Was this the same resort? Yeah, same exact resort. Okay. Everything. Did you have any boyfriends before this? Before this? Yeah, I think. Did that affect anything? It affected my relationships pretty, pretty harshly. I mean, I had just got out of a bit, like as much of a long term relationship as you can call it, uh, right before this happened. I don't think I got into another one until like a year and a half later, but even then it affected, you know, how people were allowed to touch me, what they were allowed to say to me, how close they were allowed to get to me. Like I didn't like sleeping next to anyone for the longest time. Like don't, not that I was allowed to have sleepovers because I wasn't. Sorry, mom and dad, but I kind of did sometimes. Um, <laughs> See, it's all coming out. Yeah, now. I snuck out a couple times, but um, I didn't like sleeping. I like if you touch me in my sleep, I'm I'll freak out. But and that's how I used to be until I started opening up about all this. So that kind of affected my sex life, obviously, in relationships. It's not something that I was super extra interested in. Yeah. I mean, it was more like a chore than something that was an expression of love for me. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, do what yeah. you got to do and then get off. Like, it's not. <laughs> and that, like, that's Sorry the, for those that are yeah, listening. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much, that's how it was for me for a long time um, until I was able to, to open up about this and start healing internally so two years later like i said we went back to st martin everything was okay i feel i felt uncomfortable a lot of the trip but mostly because i'm allergic to the banana i'm allergic to banana boat sunscreen what (laughs) yeah (laughs) so and all the sunscreen that my parents brought were banana boats so i spent a lot of time in the hospital that trip oh my gosh don't ever go back there (laughs) exactly you're never going back yeah so um the only time it really started to like kind of creep back in was my dad thought it would be a fun idea to book another booze cruise from the same place that the ship two years before was docked and on the same boat wow so i remember him saying oh we're gonna do this booze cruise it'll be so much fun and we were walking over that night and i just remember like I just lost time. Like I'm walking towards the boat or towards where we need to go. And I just stop. And I just fell into the sand and I just started weeping because everything came rushing back. I'm right on that beach. I'm right near that boat where this thing happened to me, where I met this guy that did this thing to me. Um, So that kind of put a negative twist on the trip. But luckily the friend that I was with stayed back with me. So I didn't have to go. Okay. We just went back to the room. And did this friend know at this time? No. What, okay. No, she did not. She was unaware. But luckily, she just kind of trusted me enough to say, you don't want to go? There's obviously a reason why, so we'll stay back. Okay. Uh, that After that trip, I remember after that um, 
the booze cruise, I remember my sister and her boyfriend coming home that night. And she was completely trashed once again. Like, she was writing on people with Sharpie. She had Sharpie penises, like, drawn all over her face. And she drew herself, like, falling into the ocean. Like, she was really, really drunk that night, too. And she was 21 at this point, of course. So it was, like, I guess, like, acceptable. Um, but I just remember asking her if I could talk to her. And we were in a three-bedroom suite at this time. And I kicked my friend out. I was like, listen, I got to talk to my sister. So I pulled Chris into the room. And that's what I told her. I said, listen, the reason I didn't go tonight wasn't anything against you, but this is what happened to me the last time we were in this situation. And she was drunk too? Mm-hmm. Which I, you know, <laughs> looking back, probably not the best time to tell her, but <laughs> I just, it was something that I had to get had off to my get, chest yep. at that point. Um, and I remember, uh, if you remember last week's podcast, she was upset with her friend for just, you know, engaging in sexual activity yeah. near me yeah. and for her to find out that this happened. She said she was going to fight a bitch or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like she was pissed. Yeah. Like she's, she, I mean, she's drunk. Of course she's like, oh, I'm going to go back to that boat. I'm going to find this guy. I'm going to, I'm going to fuck him up. I'm going to do all this stuff. I was like, no, you're not. Cause you're I guarantee he's not there. <laughs> guarantee he doesn't work anymore. Like yeah. it's, it's fine. I just wanted you to be aware of why I wasn't, wasn't spending time with you. Why I didn't go with you. And it's something that's like kind of, affected my life to the point that I feel that you need to know. So she she was really understanding about it. She just kind of, she listened. There's not much you can really say, mm-hmm. honestly. She's just kind of like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I think she blamed herself a lot because she wasn't there with me. If she would have went down, maybe that wouldn't have happened. If she would have went down, maybe she could have fought him off. Um, so I think for a long time, she blamed herself, which makes me feel bad because at the same time, there I am blaming myself, thinking there's something wrong with me. Yeah. But that's a lot of what ifs. Like, what if mm-hmm. that she was the only one? Yeah, absolutely. Your sister was the same way. She always felt like it was her first. Something was wrong with her before it was something wrong with somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So she, I think that has a lot to do with her depression is there. there's something. She's like, well, if I wouldn't be depressed, then maybe I would have went down there. If, even if I wouldn't have been drunk, maybe I would have went down there. It's yeah. She has just, like you said, a lot of what ifs mm-hmm. and, and questions and blaming herself, which she in no way shape or form should have yeah so um that was my next trip there uh i mentioned earlier that i had some unhealthy coping mechanisms for that and um for me a lot i think it stemmed from some of my my health problems um i don't know if you remember when we were in 10th grade i missed like four months of school can't say I do. Yeah, it's because you didn't care about me. It's fine. You, you were important. <laughs> yeah. You were important on my list. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> um, I actually had a cholecystectomy when I was 15 years old. They removed my gallbladder um, because my gallbladder was creating fluid that was like poisoning my body. So I had a cholecystectomy, and I was. It took them forever to figure out what was wrong with me. But once they took that out, I was I was fine. But yeah. I mean, even still now, um, when I eat something that's like greasy or doesn't agree with me, like it comes right back up. So. And, and around that time that I was out of school, like I was away from people for a long time. And I think I developed a little bit of situational depression. I didn't really talk to anyone. Like What's situational? Um, it's like a depressive episode um, that comes from a certain or specific set of circumstances in your life. Okay. If you can change those circumstances, then you can snap yourself out of the depression. And for me, I couldn't because I wasn't going to school. I wasn't doing my sports. I wasn't hanging out with my friends because I was stuck at home, you know, with a giant scar on my stomach yeah. <laughs> couldn't really do the stuff that I like to do right. so I was really depressed and had a lot of time to think at that point and that's when um my major crisis of faith happened 
I lost all faith that I had in God. Why are all these terrible things happening to me? Why does it have to be me? What did I do wrong? Um, how, why did I make God so angry? Why is he doing this to me? Those sort of thoughts just, you know, coursing through my head, wondering, am I ever going to get out of this cycle of terrible things that seem to be happening to me? Yeah. And um, not to say that there wasn't good things at the same time, because there was, but, you know, the, the bad always seems yeah, to outweigh gonna, the good. Yeah. So um, that was my, fir- my, my first and so far only crisis of faith that I really had. Um, and I was very fortunate to, um, after my surgery, my pastor at the time came and visited me in the, in the hospital. He read me scripture. We talked about all the questions that I had. You know, I said, why, why is this happening to me? And it's, it's that, old, that old quote, God never gives you more than you can handle, which I, at the time I was like, that's so fucking cliche. Like, <laughs> can you come up with something better? Like, I want answers. And I think it took, it took me maybe a year to realize I'm not going to get any answers. And that's what faith is, is believing even when there's no answers and no proof. So, um, you know, I, I, I got over that and moved forward in my faith. I, you know, I teach Sunday school now. I teach children's church. I work in the nursery. I go every Sunday. I, I'm really involved in our church now. I'm the liturgist. I, I do as much as I can to, to continue my faith now. And I think part of that is because I feel so guilty. Because you questioned it. Exactly. So I want to jump in, you know, head first when I really don't need to. You know, I have my own private relationship with God, which isn't a bad thing. You know, if you, if you don't go to church, you can still have an awesome relationship with God. You don't have to, to show up and, and put on a show. Like, you don't have to be this professional Christian. Yeah. And that's funny because we just talked about this, Austin and myself, last week after Sam's podcast when mm-hmm. we were recording that because he talked a lot about God and Austin's trying to find, like, what's the right way? Like, what am I supposed to believe he believes? And so we were kind of talking about religion. Mm-hmm. And I said, you have people that go to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it's like, check mark. I went to church. I went exactly. to, to the dinner afterwards or the luncheon. And I went mm-hmm. and we talked about we went to church. And they're not living the Christian life. Exactly. I mean, I'm not judging people, but that's the facts. Like, they, they go agree. to church and they don't live the Christian life. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go to church to be close to God. And sometimes a person that doesn't go to church is just as close or even closer. And everybody has to evaluate their own relationship with mm-hmm. what they believe in their faith. But you don't have to go to church mm-hmm. to be the best Christian in the world. Mm-hmm. Didn't I Sam say that church is a place that there is what people came to as they call it church now, like the building? Because they used to do it in the house, right? Right. He hmm. explained something. The church is not the building itself. It's, it's the, the people. It's, it's the, the people. Yeah, right. It's the people so you can together. go anywhere. So you could be at a house. It's not a church. Right. But it's still like church because mm-hmm. it's a sermon. It's it's talking about the Bible and yeah. things like that. So you don't have to go to a building. That's right. just a building. Exactly. People congregate anywhere. And it's it could be like people. a church. Mm-hmm. Right. It's about yeah. the people. Right. It's not about yeah. the building. Right. So yeah. I totally believe, you know. That, I mean, and a lot of people go like you and participate and they mm-hmm. feel good about that. Yeah. Like I used to go when I went to church and I would leave, I think, God, like I feel so much closer to God yeah. at that point in my life. That's what I thought that I felt so close. Mm-hmm. And now like I, I, every day, like I talk to God every day. Yeah. He sends me signs and, and calls with me like mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. And I don't participate in the church. And sometimes I want to go. Mm-hmm. Like just because you do feel that connection with other people in the congregation, mm-hmm. 
but yeah. But like sometimes I almost, I, I sometimes don't want to go. And that's my thing. Like my dad, <laughs> it's like this running joke in the family because every Sunday at eight o'clock, I have a text that says church question mark because I don't live <laughs> at home. So he's like, like shoving it down my throat sometimes. Like I love, I love my dad and there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes he's just like shoving it down my throat. <laughs> and like sometimes I'm like, outside is my church like I can go outside and praise God and be mm-hmm. close to God like I don't necessarily have to be there singing all the hymns and doing all this stuff yeah. like sometimes you just don't want to go and for a while my during my crisis of faith like I said I jumped head first in and I was just trying to like you said check all those boxes and make sure that I fit all these criteria in hopes that good things would start happening to me which I, I realized that you have to take some responsibility for the bad things that happen to you and someone's responsibility for the good things that happen to you. I mean, this is going to sound like terrible, but I think has like God has bigger things to worry about. And I think I realize that God has bigger things to worry about than, you know, me blaming myself. He can give me signs and he can contribute to the positive things, but he's not doing bad things to me. He has bigger things to worry about. And I think that's kind of what I mainly got out of it. And that's why I'm so involved in the church now. I'm not just checking those boxes anymore. Being this professional Christian, I'm doing it because it makes me feel closer to God. I'm doing it for the reason that I want to, for my faith, for that reason. that's the right reason. Yeah. That's good. So, um, I mentioned earlier, like my, my unhealthy coping habits, um, with, with all that health stuff going on when high school ended and I went to college, I was, was not the normal college student. Um, my dad told me, I was very fortunate that my parents paid for me to go to college and they said, you can go wherever you want. And, you know, I, I had, you know, I was going to go to Penn State. I was going to go to, to Kutztown. I was going to go to a bunch of different places. And then <laughs> where did I end up going? York College. <laughs> Yay. It's a good college. It, it is. It's a good school. But the same, like I wanted that college experience, but I'm one of those people, like I do not know how to say no. So if someone came to my room and was like, hey, let's go get drinks, I'd be like, fuck yeah, let's go. Let's have a great time. And I like wouldn't get, I knew I wasn't going to get any work done. So I was like, I'll go to your college. And I was like, dad, can I still live at the dorms? And he was like, I'm not paying for you to live at the dorms whenever you can live at home. It'll be cheaper. I was like, okay, fine. So I lived at home. I worked three jobs through college and, um, that's just, when you snuck out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I started sneaking I'm out. I'm picking up on yeah. this stuff now. <laughs> so I went to, I didn't go to like, I wasn't the typical college student in that I didn't drink and party Thursday through Sunday like a lot of people did. Um, I went to a few parties. Um, I had friends that went to Pittsburgh, uh, went to University of Pittsburgh. I went up there and went to a couple parties with her. I had um, friends that went to Elizabethtown. I went and had, went to a couple parties with them. I had friends that went to IUP. I went to a couple parties with them. Um, but well, uh, didn't you go to parties? <laughs> your college. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I had a friend that lived on Jackson Street. But I, I mostly worked. I tended bar, so I worked almost every Saturday night. I lived on Jackson Street all my life. Really? <laughs> Not all amongst, your life. Well, from birth until after high school, till I was seventeen. Oh, I didn't. I, I didn't party at your college yeah. either. <laughs> I watched the police come. How old are you now? We're not going to share. I'm over yeah, 50. Not all your life. Well, my young, my younger years. Yeah. Um, so I had a friend that lived on Jackson Street, but like the parties that we had at her house were not like ragers. Like you see on like all the movies or like you think of when you think of college parties. We'd normally like sit in a, in a, on our, at our table, eat like four Domino's pizzas and drink like two beers. What's that one movie where it's like a big rager? I forget what it was Project called. X. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> it was nothing like that, I can guarantee you. <laughs> it was everything yeah. like that. 
<laughs> so, I mean, I didn't really go to parties that often. I mean, I, I tried, like, I, I drank a little bit, but never to the point where I was, like, blacked out drunk. Um, and I think because I hate the taste of alcohol, I looked for other habits to kind of make me feel in control of myself. And for me, the one thing that I control was, I could control was what I put into my body, what I ate. And so I was like food Nazi. Like I would eat, you know, two carrots and that would be all I ate for the day. All day. All day. That was what I would eat. Um, when I graduated high school, I weighed like 115 pounds. Um, and when I was a sophomore in college, I weighed 86 pounds. That's a big difference. Yeah. So you were a food Nazi and you controlled what you ate. Did you think about food all day and have to fight it off or you just really didn't think about it? I didn't think about it. Okay. I mean, there were times like, and, and at the same time that I'm not eating or I'm, you know, putting my fingers on my throat, making myself throw up. I'm also working out three to four hours a day. I'm going to the, to the gym at school and, and I'm, I'm running 10 miles or, you know, I'm doing ab workouts for, for 45 minutes, that sort of thing. Like it was, it wasn't just food. It was how I looked. Your body was consuming itself basically. Basically. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was very unhealthy and all I could think about. And I think because of some of the failed relationships that I had, yeah. I was focused on what is wrong with me. Why, um, why, why does no one want me? Why is it, there must be something wrong with the way that I look, which obviously was their problem and not mine, which yeah. I didn't realize at the time. Um, but I was really, really focused on, on what I ate. And for me, like I said, that was the control factor because I couldn't control what happened to me that night. I wanted something that I could control. Right. And that was food, what I ate, what I took in. And I mean, even to this day, I do not keep a scale in my house because I will get obsessed. And I know that I will get obsessed. <laughs> I'm pointing at my mom right now. <laughs> She's pointing. He's pointing at me because we went to Florida a couple of weeks ago, and I literally was going to take the scale with me mm. because I was. I'm obsessed every mm-hmm. day. Not only you two; it's a mass majority of women and girls. Mm-hmm. I weigh myself every day, mm-hmm. no matter what, and I will weigh myself after I go to the bathroom. Yep. And I will weigh myself after the shower. That's how I used to be. And yep. it's and it's frustrating, and it's that point too, and, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like. Point two. So then I walk from the bathroom to the bedroom, make my bed, and go back. Weigh yourself again. And weigh myself again because exactly. I'm if it right went down. up. You did it again. Then well, you did it again. No, typically then I have to get ready for work. But I would like take my glasses off. Mm-hmm. I still do this take to this day. Off. Just yesterday I did this, and it's crazy because you become so obsessed. And that's an obsessive compulsive. And, and I write down. I write down in a book every day because I'm diabetic, yep. mm-hmm. and so I write down mm-hmm. what my blood sugar was. I write down what my weight was. Mm-hmm. And then at the beginning when I started losing this weight, because I probably lost like 40 pounds since February, oh, that's good. That's awesome. I literally would write down what I ate and how many carbs I ate. Mm-hmm. And then I would start cheating mm-hmm. and I couldn't write that. So you just keep the healthy stuff. So in the I would just leave it blank and put bad day. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, if I write too many bad days. So when we were in Florida for an entire week, I ate pretty much what I wanted. Like I went and worked out at the gym or walked every day. Mm-hmm. But the whole week I had to keep telling myself every day, it's okay. When you get back, whatever this scale says, you'll make it up. You'll be fine. Like mm-hmm. in my mind though, I was like, I'm not going to eat. When I get back, I won't eat for the days that I don't have to eat till mm-hmm. I get to that certain weight again. Yep. And it was funny because you shared those books with us. Mm-hmm. And back in high school, I had an eating disorder and mm-hmm. I could feel it. Mm-hmm. How small were you in high school? Uh, 
like 87 pounds. Graduating. Graduating. Yeah. So I was, I was like that in high school where I wouldn't eat for days. Mm -hmm. And Joe would say to me, you got to eat. And Mm -hmm. I would eat a half of a sub because we worked in a pizza shop and I would be like done. Mm Mm-hmm. And to your you point, like, that's it. why I asked you, did you think about food? Because I didn't even think about food. Yep, it, was, it wasn't a thought. I was just concerned about, you know, working out. And the, the more that I kept it out of my head, the longer I could go without eating. And like you said, you kept a log. I kept a log as well. What I ate that day, um, what I weighed before bowel movements. And surprise, everyone, girls do poop. Just so you know, <laughs> surprise. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> but yeah, and, and now to this point, like I'm not not eating. Mm-hmm. But I think of food all day long, mm-hmm. like, and I can eat it. Like I can eat whatever I want because yeah. I'm by myself, but I don't. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is you hold yourself like accountable only to yourself when it comes to food. And that standard is so high for yourself. And I think that's like you said, Austin, with all girls, it's, it's, you're comparing yourself to everyone else. And I want to look like that. You scrolling through Instagram. I see, I see a girl, a flat stomach. I want to look like that. The that's lighting. Exact, yep. Yep. And tan. you still see yourself as heavy. Like, mm-hmm. even now, I don't like my picture taken. And, I, yep, me too. <laughs> and I know my size clothes is going down. Mm-hmm. And people that haven't seen me in a long time are like, oh, you look great. But I don't see that. And that's called body dysmorphic disorder. Yeah. So I'm like Wait, trying. back up. What is that? Body dysmorphic disorder. I think you need to say it slower for me. Body dysmorphic disorder. Okay. It's when um, no matter what you weigh, you visualize yourself as more heavy set or skinnier depending on which way your eating disorder goes. Gotcha. So for me, uh, for, so for your mom, even though she's getting smaller, she still sees herself at the weight that she was before she started losing weight. When she true? looks in the mirror, so that's you see what yourself? she sees. That's true. And then when I put that, I did this transformation picture um, for a Zumba instructor that I, and I was mortified because he said, can I put this on the page? Mm-hmm. Well, we have a Zumba page. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, because those girls and, and there's a couple guys in the class, but they know, like they saw me when I came in here. They know that I'm losing weight. So yeah, mm-hmm. if it's going to motivate them, yeah. He didn't mean that page. He meant Facebook. So that night I'm oh. online and I'm like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. he put this on Facebook. And yeah. I was like devastated. And I typed right away on Facebook and said, he was not supposed to put this on here. Thank <laughs> you for all the nice comments. But I felt like I was bragging about it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, now these people realize what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And it added stress because now people are going to see me. And And if I gain weight back, Mm -hmm. they're going to be, oh, they'll have such high expectations. Yeah. And so then I'm thinking to myself, I don't really care. Mm -hmm. Like I have to do this for me. Mm -hmm. Like I have control of this Mm -hmm. and I have to do this for me. So I get what you're saying. So I technically, and I just shared with them, I am borderline after I read your book. I'm like, I'm probably borderline have an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. I told you. And, but I'm You said you think you have control over it. I, I'm working on it and I, I sometimes <laughs> I will just eat like I will just eat out of control for a binge day eating. binge eating yeah just for a whole day mm-hmm. and I'm not gonna lie I used to vomit I used to make myself yeah. vomit and I is can, this recent no oh, this is back but I think about it now. Yeah, that's I. I still I think, think about, about it, it and I just can't. If and and that to me that was for me that was the easy way out. Like now, if I'm trying to lose weight, like I work out, but I still think, oh, I just ate this. If I wanted to get rid of it, it'd be real easy. That that's what goes through my head, and mm-hmm. I don't. But I think about that. Like God, mm-hmm. I just ate all this. Like last night, I had pizza. I shouldn't have pizza. 
because I'm trying to get not eat so many carbs. Mm-hmm. And then I went home and then I had popcorn and I used to eat popcorn on a diet because it can be healthy. But yeah. when you're not eating carbs, yeah. you can't have popcorn. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God. So I ate that and I'm like, it's nine o'clock. I should probably mm-hmm. get rid of this. And yeah. I had to fight myself, like drink a water and go to bed. Yep. How do you how do you overcome something like that? How do you fix that in your head? Um, A lot of times, like for people that. You know, for for me, my eating disorders went on for about two years until I started, until my mom caught me. I remember the exact night it was. I was studying for um, my social psychology final, and I was up till like three in the morning. And what I used to do is I'd go into the bathroom because it's when I live with my parents, and um, their bedroom was like right next to the bathroom that I used. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go in, turn the fan on, turn the faucet on, so they like to try and block out the sound as much as I could. Turn the shower on on top of that. And then I would put the toilet seat up and make myself vomit. Um, I remember one night, um, my mom must have, for some reason, been awake. I have no idea why, but um, I forgot to lock the door. I normally always lock the door. I forgot to lock the door. My mom walked in, caught me with my fingers down my throat, and she, like, the look on her face, just sheer disappointment. Like, I raised you better. I raised you to have, you know, high value of yourself. You should, you know, your body is a temple, all that stuff. Why are you doing this to yourself? Just a look on her face and then like disappointment. And then came the red hot fury. Like she was pissed. She looked at me and said, if I catch you with your fingers down your throat one more time, so help me God, I will send you away. And for me, it was that fear of what are people going to think if I have to go to rehab? Like if I have to go to rehab for this, if I have to fix this, what are people going to think? So for me, I was just like, okay, I need to start eating. So at that point, I started eating. And you talked earlier about um, how you would eat uncontrollably for a day. For me, it was, like I said, I'd eat like two carrots, and then I'd throw that up. For that, for me, it was never, I never really binged and then purged. It was just kind of like eating a little bit and then purging. Okay. So that was that was my experience. And like, like you said, I asked, how do you fix it in your head? It's a battle of willpower. It really is. It's it's the same, um, like Domantio in that, in the first, in the, one of the first episodes talked about how it's always going through your head and there's all this noise in your head and everything that you're thinking of. For me, it was the same way about getting rid of the food in my body. For me, it was the same way. It's, you need to get rid of this. This needs to go. It's so easy. You can do it. And it's just that, that it's the same fight that people, that, uh, someone with addiction struggles with. It's, it's an addictive trait. It's, it's an addiction. It really is, is controlling everything that goes in and out of your body. Um, that's, I mean, that's the way at least I, it worked for me. Yeah. Um, and you know, reading about substance abuse disorders and all of that stuff with my profession and my schooling, um, it's, it's just how I correlate the two. And, you know, I could have easily developed an addiction. Um, if I would have went down the wrong path, I could have easily developed an addiction to, to drugs or something. Yeah. So for me, it was, it's, it's still a battle to this day. It's not something that really can, can get fixed without, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or something like that, or exposure therapy, um, you know, being exposed to food, you know, in a healthy way, that's really all you can do is, you know, if you're, if you want to lose weight, if you want to look good is to do it in the healthy way. And that's, it's a struggle. Yeah. And it's a control thing. Like I can control what I eat. I mm-hmm. can control if I lose this weight, I can control exactly. if I don't. And so I have those thoughts, but then I challenged myself, like, you are better than this. Do you want to be able to say, I lost weight because I did this? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to say, never tell anybody how you did it mm-hmm. and 
you you didn't really do it on your you know it's like a you defeated again like you failed again to yourself because you didn't do it the right way i got the solution so now i go to the gym but what's your solution like cake (laughs) you like cake right i love cake what don't you like you like mustard yeah i like mustard you like relish yeah do you like cake and mustard together because that's pretty (laughs) odd but you know i fight myself i fight myself with even cake Really? Because I'll go to the store. I've already went to the store. <laughs> I remember you said you dug one out of the cake. trash. Yeah, and this I've, gets brought up on every podcast. But I put cake. No, that's a different story. <laughs> I sometimes will put a cupcake or cake in my cart mm-hmm. and push it around the store and tell myself, you can eat this if you want to. Mm-hmm. And then I put it back before I leave the store. But just having it is crazy. Mm-hmm. But just having it in my cart. It gives you a sense of it's comfort. Like, yeah, I can control this. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, what's that movie called when he has Wilson, the volleyball? Wilson! Yeah. That's Castaway, yeah. by the way. Yeah, Castaway. But yeah, so I, I totally get <laughs> yeah, it. It's so anyway, we're way off topic here. Let's get yeah. back to that was one of your... Um, that was really how I coped a lot um, with oh, what... Before it, we go there, oh, yeah, you sure. said you weighed yourself and you took your glasses off. Was that to clear it up so you can see the numbers better? Or no, was that, to lose that your, was because I needed to lose, to lose 0. 0.2 more to be... 0. 0.0001 no, pounds. No, 0.2 to be... A, to, to <laughs> All be right, that's enough. Amelia, go ahead. I know what you mean. To be less. <laughs> yeah. You were just trying to clean your... head. You were just trying to clean your glasses off. I don't put my watch on until You're the same person, <laughs> same person that takes a Sharpie and writes the numbers on the scale. Okay, go ahead, Amelia. No, I don't. So, um, I mean, I... After... Um, my eating disorder, um, after I started getting, you know, doing my best to get myself well and opening up and talking to people about it. I mean, I didn't go to therapy, but I did, I was able to share my story with a lot of people. Um, I coached cheerleading for five years at Red Lion High School. Um, and a lot of the girls came to me with body image issues. So I was able to share my story and say, listen, this is the wrong way to do it. This is, this is exactly, I am, you know, a cautionary tale truth be told you don't want to be anything like me because I made so many mistakes I did really unhealthy things to my body I was not in the right state of mind for a very very long time I think it's the best thing for kids it's cautionary tales I don't know what that is but like (laughs) someone that's been through it we talk about it on multiple podcasts Mm -hmm. about if you have the experience you share it with a younger person they're gonna they're probably gonna listen to you Mm -hmm. and I think because I was so close to their age I think it made an even bigger impact because I was you know, I started coaching when I was 18. So like I was at this, at this time I was like 20, 21. So I was able to, I was close enough in their age that they didn't just like, I wasn't just a coach. I was also a friend unless I was making them run laps. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I think it made an even bigger impact in, in that way. Um, now my latest, um, is happened about, I'm going to say like a year and a half ago. Um, my latest issue with, with my sexual assault, um, I remember I got a text from my now fiance at the time saying, Hey, take off these two weeks. We're going on vacation. So he booked us a a two week cruise through carnival and, um, you and these cruises. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. You ever fly anywhere? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we did. We did. We, I normally, we flew to St. Martin to take a cruise. Um, but, um, this was an actual two week carnival cruise and um, I remember he booked everything. He took care of everything. It was like this huge deal because, I mean, I didn't know it th- this at the time, but he was planning to, that was when he was planning to propose. Um, so he, he made this, this big trip and made a huge deal out of it. He was super excited. I was super excited. And then he sent me the itinerary. And um, our ship was scheduled to dock on the fourth to last day in St. Martin. 
and I wanted nothing to do with that. At this point, did he know anything that happened to you? He knew a little bit about it. Okay. Like I, I didn't really tell him all the details until I think the day that we were docked in St. Martin, I sat him down. I was like, listen, this is exactly what happened. This is everything that I want you to know. But he was aware that I, I had had an incident, an incident with sexual assault. Um, uh, like he, he, I mean, he was aware of it and he was totally fine with it. And I think that's one of the reasons that our relationship works is because I was upfront with him 100% from the beginning about everything. Communication. Okay. Yes, exactly. Open lines of communication. Um, so uh, I saw the itinerary. I saw that our ship was supposed to dock in St. Martin, and I told him, I was like, I want no parts of that. And he was like, we don't have to do anything. We don't have to leave the boat. I was like, no, we can because you've never been there. You want to see stuff. You want to do stuff. Um, so this was, like I said, like the, the fourth, third or fourth to last day of the cruise. We went to a bunch of places. We were engaged at this point already. Um, and the ship docked and that morning and I refused to even get out of bed. I was like, I'm not leaving this bed. And he was like, we can at least go get breakfast. And I was like, I told you we'd leave the boat, so we'll do that. Um, so we got ready, got dressed, um, put our bathing suits on to go to the beach or something, whatever we were going to do that day. And I got to the dock and I could not leave the boat. Like, um, I just remember heading back up to the dining hall and like looking out the window at the island and uh, standing there just staring. And for me, it felt like, you know, 30 seconds of, you know, I'm just hovering above my body. But what felt like 30 seconds to me was 45 minutes to Coda. And the only reason I even snapped out of that, just staring and, and thinking about everything and having flashbacks, the only reason I even snapped out of that was because he come, he came up next to me, like catty corner behind me and just stood there with me. He stood there with me for like 35 minutes just stood there with me, didn't say anything, didn't touch me. Just knowing that he was there kind of snapped me out of it. I was able to kind of bring my, bring my, I say I was hovering above myself. It was able, kind of able to bring myself back to my body. And the rest of the day, I, I couldn't, I didn't want to communicate. I didn't want to say anything. I mean, he was very understanding and we just kind of went to the pool on the boat that day and did absolutely nothing. And I drank a little bit and needed it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that was, um, kind of a, a big deal for me realizing even, you know, 10, 11 years later that it still can affect you just as much as when it's actually happening. I remember, um, for me, in my situation, some of my, like, like when I said, I, I was frozen and I couldn't move. Some of my other senses kind of kicked into overdrive. Like if you asked me now what he looked like, I couldn't tell you, but I could explain exactly what he smelled like. It was salt water, cigarettes, and freshly mown grass is exactly what he smelled like. So landscaper. So they're trigger points. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 things that I still think of, and I think you know, like you said, trigger points. I I still kind of flash back at times that I smell all those things. It's not something that you often smell together, so it's not something I have to worry about. But if I, if I ever smell that all together, it, it just kind of hits me. It comes. It all comes rushing back, and I will just sob uncontrollably um and even to this day I still still cry about it sometimes but it's not like it's hindering me from being the best version of myself which I think is very important do you ever get angry like he took this part of your life away from you exactly I, I do I get I get very angry and like I said earlier for a long time I felt dirty I felt soiled like no one would want me because this happened to me because my innocence was taken from me so for for the longest time I I felt like I didn't deserve someone good or, or anything like that for the longest time. And I think that's why I put myself into so many bad relationships and things didn't work out because I just 
didn't feel like I deserved any better. And when I finally like reached certain expectations for myself, that's when I could say enough is enough. No more games. Like there's nothing wrong with me. I didn't do anything wrong. This was take, like you said, this was taken from me. I didn't do anything. I didn't ask for this. I didn't want this. And that's okay. It happened. That's okay. There's nothing I can do about it now. There's nothing I can do to change it, but it still happened. And I kind of have to own that part of myself or else I'm going to live the rest of my life in denial. And that's not healthy. Right. So, um, like I said earlier, um, in 2009, I was a victim of sexual assault, but as of August 31st, 2020, I'm a survivor of sexual assault. I don't consider myself a victim because to me, that implies that there's something wrong with me, that I was weak, um, that I was overpowered, that I didn't have the strength to, to let this not happen. So uh, now I consider, like I said, I consider myself a survivor, and I know a lot of other persons who have su- uh, suffered from sexual assault consider themselves survivors as well. I don't hear about sexual assault a lot. You're the, fir- the first one I ever heard story about and that's uh, we, we don't like to talk about it for a long you have to you have to make yourself comfortable thinking about it before you can be comfortable talking about it and a lot of people don't want to think about it like for the longest time like I said I tried to quiet the noise instead of embracing it and and making it who I making it a part of who I was you just thought it was gonna go away exactly did. if well, I, most people blame themselves mm-hmm. and so even though you know and you're telling yourself it's not your fault I just had this conversation this weekend um like you don't know Mm-hmm. it's not you it doesn't even matter if you went to a party and you got drunk when you say no it's no mm-hmm. you never asked for it mm-hmm. like you may have put yourself in a situation that it could have happened yeah but you didn't ask for it exactly. and even if you started mm-hmm. and in the middle you're like i don't want this then mm-hmm. it's a no at that mm-hmm. point and Agreed. it's not your fault at mm-hmm. that point you may have were drinking and put yourself in the spot mm-hmm. but you said no Exactly. And they, they violated you mm-hmm. no matter where you were. Mm-hmm. And, and I appreciate you sharing a story because for two reasons, first of all, to your point, people don't share it. Mm-hmm. But secondly, this happens on these vacations. You hear about this yeah. and people need to be aware when you leave this country and you go so many times, like when we were in Putacana, don't leave your resort, don't mm-hmm. leave your resort. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize the that the dangers of these people, they, they're predators. Like they look mm-hmm. for this. And they get you drunk and, and they, they don't get in trouble. Nope. And nobody believes the person. And no one wants to say yeah, anything. Nobody wants to say anything because then it's tarnished. But mm-hmm. like you sharing this today is like powerful for me because there's so many people mm-hmm. that are in your shoes that don't want to talk about it, yeah. that blame themselves and are destroyed for mm-hmm. their entire life. And you're getting married in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And so you aren't the victim. Like yeah. you've overcome it and mm-hmm. you've, you've met a person and you have a relationship. And so mm-hmm. you did not let this beat you. Yeah. Down. And that's, and like, that's, 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 that's like tremendous. So thank you. like, thank you. Like I'm sitting here ready to cry like that. Like that's powerful. Yeah, it is. It very is. And it's powerful that you're here today and sharing this with mm-hmm. us and openly sharing it because somebody may hear this mm-hmm. that was assaulted at any age and doesn't know what to do yeah and there's not an age where it's never assault right it's always assault if you say no it's always assault and you don't necessarily have to be raped for it to be assault i want people to know that yeah. as well what's the difference between rape and assault um rape is like genital penetration 
Okay. That's what it's considered. But assault is anything else that you don't want. Gotcha. So, any violation. Any violation. Yeah. Um, but there is a difference between assault and harassment, which that's like getting down to the nitty gritty. Um, but, but it can go both ways as far as um, assault and the other one, uh, like males. Oh, absolutely. Females oh, yeah. to males. It yes. can go both ways. Yes, males can be, can be raped and assaulted as well. Yeah. And that's like you find an even low, like as low as the percentage of women that will report sexual assault, you'll find an even lower percentage of males that like, it's only like 2% of males that have, have been assaulted that, um, because they're embarrassed because uh, they're yeah, embarrassed. You feel like you're masculine. You have to yep. be masculine about it. Yes. Yep. Oh, they think that, um, you know, they asked for it. And a lot of, a lot of times I think, especially younger girls think that they ask for it because physiologically their body responds and they don't understand that that's just a physical physiological response. It's not something that doesn't mean consent doesn't mean you're asking for it, yeah. but a lot of younger girls don't understand that. So they don't understand that they've been assaulted. They think maybe I didn't want to do it, but it still happened. They don't consider themselves as being assaulted because their body responds and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just how we're physiologically built. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a very yeah. powerful episode. I'll tell you that. Yeah. And if, and if anyone listening, um, has been through anything similar to this or anything like this, or you want to talk about it or ask me questions, you can absolutely do that. If you want to share your own experience with me, please do. I'm always here to listen, always here to help give advice. Do Where whatever can they I can find do. you? Um, you can find me on Facebook. My name is Amelia Thomas. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I don't even know what my name is. Good luck searching <laughs> for it. <laughs> or on Twitter or heck. Okay. You can, so will your yeah. Facebook name change when you get married? Yes. Um, as of September 26th, my name will be Amelia Seipel. So you can search that as well okay so, sweet yeah. well thanks thanks for coming on yeah thanks for having me i'm glad i could share my story yeah, and thank you guys for, for listening sharing. thanks everyone that's listening yeah thanks everybody and uh make sure you guys go uh share our podcast to everybody and anyone that you know and uh we'll catch you on the next one